I said I'm geek and I'm fired up. All I want tonight is just get higher. Girl, you look so good, it's to die for. Ooh, that pussy good, it's to die for. It's a secret society. All we ask is trust. My resume is real enough for two millenniums A better way to make a way is not defending them I meditate and moderate all of my wins again I'm hanging on the fence again, I'm always on your mind I put my lyric and my lifeline on the line And it don't limit when I might shine, might grind You rolling with it at the right time, right now Only for the dollar sign Bad girl, ribbing now Swear, 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 leave it now On your pulse, I can see the end Gas on the bitch, like it's premium Call ass on the bitch, all in the fast lane Been a bad bitch with before and the cash came I'm established, honey carrots So my name run the Atlas, I'm a natural, I'm a ring I'm a savage, I'm an asshole, I'm a king Shimmy out, shimmy out, shimmy out, right? You can tell your nigga he can meet me outside You can babysit him when I leave him outside Ain't no other love like the one I know I done been down so long, lost hope I done came down so hard, I slow I done sleep a hell of a holler, real nigga won't I said I'm geek and I'm fired up all I want tonight is just get high All I want is, all I want is Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty Tenfold, no switching sides Feel something wrong You acting shifty, you don't vibe with me no more I need Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty Tell me who you're loyal to. Yo, yo, I love this song, Loyalty, man. I, I, I let it ride out a little bit because uh, I just wanted to end on that part. Uh, tell me who you're loyal to. But um, not only does it feature like two black artists that are uh, one of the few cultural artists of our generation in terms of Kendrick, I use that specifically, we use that word very specifically. Um, because, you know, the word artist derives from a term of filmmaker who... Uh, personal influence and artistic control over a film are so great that a filmmaker is regarded as an author of that film. Now, true enough, Kendrick, a Los Angeles native, is not a filmmaker, but nevertheless, he has carved out a brilliant career by creating or rather painting a picture of the black experience. Um, Weaving in complicated uh, themes of what it means to be black in America, especially through the lens of young black Americans. Thus entering into another, um, you know, conversation of another black creator, brilliant black creator, rather, an actual filmmaker who is also from Los Angeles uh, by the name of Issa Rae, who carved out a space in Hollywood by creating and developing an authentic black stories. Her rise from the awkward black girl to the Hollywood it girl is something that is not remarkable. It's incredibly unique, primarily because she's done it with just often front upon in Hollywood by just being distinctively and unabashed, unabashedly black. Issa has done an incredible job of introducing the rest of America into segments of black culture that is often ignored. But she did it in a way that it didn't feel cheated or slighted. We love her for this. Actually, we adore her for this, and we are protective of her because of this. Rightfully so. It's why during the fifth season debut of her show, a slight kerfuffle surrounding her depiction of an organization, that some were arguing that one has, you know, I mean, there were some arguments on a lot of sides, right? But... One part, part was saying, he says, always depicted black culture properly. And since 
that this depiction was proper, what's the big deal? Another side of it was saying, well, um, that organization had every right to protect his brand and imagery. And then there were others who said that this only reflected a small portion of black culture. So the interest in the subject is not only irrelevant to a larger segment of black America, but that the that but to the entire entirety of the black American experience in general, it is really a non-factor. Did you know that Stanford University has a strict no filming rule? It's true. Shows like Beverly Hills 90210 and movies like Legally Blonde were not allowed to film on campus or even use its likeness. Stanford is actually well known within the film community to be extremely protective over its imagery and branding. There's an antidote that uh, Saved, Saved by the Bell, we all love that show. Um, you know, Saved by the Bell co- contacted Stanford and said, hey, we want Jesse to say that she got accepted into Stanford. And Stanford's like, absolutely not. So then, therefore, if you remember from that particular episode, um, that they had to use not Stanford, but Stamford with an M. Um, it's because, again, Stanford is very protective of his imagery and they don't let anybody just use their particular campus or likeness. But, you know, to see, uh, that's why it was incredible to see not only Easter Ray donating that Stanford paraphernalia on film, but also filming on the campus. A bossed up move that highlighted not only her newfound cachet, but also showing that the going through the right channels had going through the right channels had actually made her create such a incredible indelible moment. But I digress. My question is if we can reward Issa for being a champion of black culture or a progenitor of the black experience, a gatekeeper, if you will, then can't we also criticize her when she falls short of protecting the very culture in which she profits off of? We can answer that as well as well as well, where does insecure rank as far as cultural phenomenon shows and this overall placement in black cinematic and TV history. As I really want to also peel back into why the show insecure worked so well. And um, you know, the thing is, the one thing about black culture is that it's definitely like a secret society. Like it's hard to touch. It's hard to s- describe, but you know, it when you see it, right? Only thing we ask when depiction is th- th- this particular culture is trust. Now that requires no sh- switching sides and only p- requires only a one piece of loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. I really want to talk about that legacy and that loyalty that Insecure has um, created and how it's really just shown us to be in a particular light. And, you know, also, you know, juggling what it means to be black in America. Um, I did find it interesting, though, and I don't really want to get into like, you know, episodic because this is, in fact, the last podcast of season one. Um, But I did find it interesting that Issa found herself juggling her newfound success with the balance of trying to stay true to herself, her culture and her people. Um, in the second episode of Insecure by the time you listen to this. Spoiler alert. Um, which makes me think like art, art often imitates life. But we'll get into all that. Uh, before we get into all that, uh, welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I am your host. Uh, on our show, we say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. And after all, culture is just another way to say discovered. We are uncultured. We are biased. And we are black. For the f- last time of season one, we were going to be saying that unofficially. Officially, unofficially. Now, if you're tuning in for the first time, first of all, where have you been? If you're tuning in for the first time, Jesus, we're doing this like 63, 64 episodes. I don't know what episode this. I'm lost count. But anyway, I appreciate you just listening. If this is the first time you listened, uh, giving us a whirl and everything like that. Um, if you're listening on Apple, please rate the episodes. I know a lot of people have not done so. I can tell. I see the numbers because it's a lot. It's like hundreds of you guys listening um, at any particular moment. And we only have a certain amount of. Rate. So please do that. Please rate the episode. Please rate season one. 
Um, I really do appreciate it if you have so, if you have done so. If you're on Spotify, um, you know, continue to share the show, uh, text it to your friends, whatnot. If you're on Apple, share uh, text it to your friends as well. Uh, we always say that on our show that sharing is caring, so we appreciate that. Um, my final ask is that if you're going to share it on social media or through text, is let them know that, you know, it's a personal recommendation because, you know, it's the best form of engagement and it's the best form of actually getting people to listen to this product. Uh, hopefully we can you continue to do that, even though we are going to go in our winter break uh, so we can continue to create content and make people interested in this thing, because we definitely want to do a season two. If you guys will have me um, want to say shout out to our Season one sponsors, uh, Compass Tax Advisors. Uh, thank you for sponsoring this season one. Um, if you are in the need for a, a tax advisor or, or looking for somebody to tell you the difference between LLC and S Corp or just understanding tax consequences, we are heading into tax season. Uh, by the time you get, you hear season two, we will be starting to rev that up. So please con- contact MyCompassTaxAdvisors.com at 850-273-7193. Um, if you're in a business looking for a great tax attorney, my compass tax advisor is the, uh, the person that you should contact. If you're in a market for real estate, uh, please contact KeystoneGlobalRealEstate.com at 407-680-8510. And if you are looking for an estate planning or guardianship, just like Molly was trying to help with her parent in season five, episode two, um, contact a real law firm. Uh, Smith Williams Trial Group at um, SWTG Law or 888-SWTG-LAW. Um, obviously, you can reach me at cwilliams at swtglaw.com. All right, brilliant. So with that being said, we are going to bring on my guy, man. He's been on this podcast several times, more times than I can count. Uh, close friend, Rob, you still with me? I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, Happy man. Happy to be here one more time, sir. One more time. One more time, bro. Did it. Season one. Season one, mm-hmm. season one. It's been a journey. It has been a journey, man. It has been a journey. And you know, Go ahead. And I want you, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask. I know some of your fans are wondering, like. That sounds weird, what, my fans. What have you learned? I know your fans, it's right? Like, you got I fans. I don't have friends. I have friends. I don't have fans, man. I have friends. All right. You've got loyal listeners, too. Okay. How about that? Yes, loyal listeners. Yeah. Loyalty. 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 Yes, that's right. Loyalty. There it is. What? What is the biggest takeaway? What, or if, even if not the biggest, but what are some takeaways from this experience? Because this started out as a just an interest of yours that has grown into something that you know I know that you take very seriously and, and hold very dear to your heart. It's, a, it's become a passion yeah. of yours. Tell me about that that growth over these past. Year, quite a few months here. Yeah, yeah, past year over this past year. Um, I just God, man, do we have time for this? Okay, that's a lot. All right, so one of the things I, I've learned is do not be afraid of criticism, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, leaning into that, leaning into the criticism, and and it's weird because you you think that's like an obvious thing, but like you're asking people to take take out time to listen to you and your thoughts. And so you almost cannot be, you, you can't be a hypocrite when people, when you're asking people to listen to, to your thoughts and when they want to give you their thoughts on the show. You follow me? Like, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't like, I can't be like, oh, listen to me. But when you're, 
it's time for you know you to tell me what's going on in your brain, especially something a product that I put out. Um, you know, I don't want to listen. So I I I take on all listeners. I mean, as far as like just people telling me, I, you know, some things I incorporate, some things I don't. Um, but that's been my thing: learning to really walk in that criticism and being confident enough in that in myself to like not stare away from you know what I see for the show, but also being willing to adjust. Um, like in the beginning, if you recall, I went through several different openings, right? Right. And I started off with one type of opening and, um, shoot, what was it? It was, uh, Nate, (laughs) our frat brother, Nate, Nathaniel Lester. Uh, he was like, Hey man, change that shit. That shit's boring. (laughs) It was like like 15 episodes in. I don't remember that. And I was like, Oh, okay. Shit. Nobody's ever told me. Like that was the first time someone told me my. Oh yeah, what was it, Gangster? No, it was like I don't know who, what it was. They had one intro song. It, for yeah, a, it, a while. It was. It was um, J Electronica. But J Electronica. It, but it yeah. was like a. It was an instrumental from which I loved. It, you know, but it was like it was a French different type of sounding. I loved the instrumentality behind it. But <laughs> they said that shit was whack. This shit is whack. <laughs> You know, turn that shit off. <laughs> I can't stand it. So I was like, okay. So then I was like, let me get it more hip hop feel. So then I started getting. I I used like DJ Premier's instrumental. Um, That's what it was. DJ click, Premier. Yeah. Yeah. The click click that. boom. And um, yeah, I, I used that for a while. And then I don't know what I why I started just. You know what it was? I I I was listening to it. You know, I listen to my podcast, and um, mm-hmm. I got tired of listening to that opening. <laughs> Even after like 20 episodes <laughs> Like I, I did that for like 10 or 10, 20 episodes And then I was like I'm tired of listening to this And I was like you know what I'm going to start um, it up. I'm going to start switching up every episode I'm just going to play yep. a song That leads into You know the topic matter the topic what matter. you were going to discuss uh-huh. Right and yep. that's kind of what it's, So it's, it's learning to adjust and change Throughout the course of a season Right and I think when I listen to episode one all the way to this episode, it's it shows me just the growth pattern, at least for me. I've, I've, I hear the growth, you know, in, in myself. And there's a lot more to go and not being afraid of that growth, because I think sometimes right. we have to be we cannot be afraid to grow and change. Um, and so I'm going to continue to listen, continue to uh, give feedback if you guys have any feedback always hit me up and just let me know man because I'm, I'm gonna try to incorporate there's some, gonna be some things in season two that I'm gonna definitely in, in um, impart and uh, you know that's what I'm gonna do also the other lesson I know we're de- de- getting off the subject is okay if I no go ahead go ahead um is ne- not learning to oh excuse me not I said terrible not learning to uh it's being okay with you know people telling you they don't listen mm-hmm. right and so not taking it personal not taking that personal um mm-hmm. you know it's because honestly i i i went in there thinking like oh you know i'm so popular on facebook that means it can be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people <laughs> and listening and it was like you know you start really figuring out like okay it's like you know you know some weeks it's like 800 people and other weeks it's like 15 people you know and and we talked about that in the early stages of the pod because of the format that you chose yeah for this podcast 
where you have a different subject and a different topic matter every week. Yeah. For y'all that don't know, that's extremely difficult to have a different topic matter and different guests. Uh, what eighty percent of the time, their first time on a podcast, yeah, has never been on a podcast before, yeah. So you're kind of holding their hand mm-hmm. and guiding them through this process, but to come with a different topic matter every week is extremely difficult, yeah. And so yes, and with that, you're going to have some weeks where you're going to have a couple hundred listeners. You're going to have your some weeks when you're going to have 20. Yeah, 20, 50, epi- 50 listeners, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's it's okay. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've learned to say it's okay. Like, there's some episodes where I was like, damn, you know, you know, uh, 1,500 people listened to it uh, on Monday. And then it would be like, some episodes are like, man, only like 30 people listened, you know? And, yep. um, and it's like, it's okay. It's really okay to like to listen to that and, and walk into that and be okay with it. Right. Uh, because one of the things I did, I learned, uh, I, I, I remember I started this podcast and a person said, um, you know, by the time you get to your, your find your voice, you're going to be around 50 episodes. You have to be willing to do 50 episodes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, remember listening. I was like, I ain't going to take me 50 episodes to find my voice. And then I was weird. It was around, really around episode 46, 47, where I started doing the opening um, you know the, the my opening monologues, uh, monologue. Ah, uh, okay. And it was like I really liked that, and it's weird yeah. how that worked. Like literally, almost fifty episodes, I finally hit a thing, and then people were like, I like your opening monologue. You should do more of that. Like again, I don't. I did an opening monologue one week, and then I got a lot of good feedback from people. Like, yeah, keep doing that. That's great. Yep. Continue. There you go. Continue to do that. So I do listen to people, and I do incorporate things. Um. So. You know, that was that was something that it was interesting to see that. And also regarding the numbers, uh, the person I respect in podcasts are like, you have to be willing to do 100 episodes and know that nobody's going to listen because you're, you care more about the work than about the listeners because the, the people are going to come. But you have to be willing to do 100 episodes. And what people don't realize about podcasts is that it's a lot of fucking work. It's right. a lot of work from pre-production. So tell them about it. Listen, yep. I... Yep. I it can take you like six hours out of your life. It's get, not. It's not just clicking record, getting getting a couple people in the studio, or getting a couple people on the phone, and just, hitting the record button, right? And saying, "All right, y'all, let's talk like we talk on the phone, right? Let's just let's just have a conversation, and then and then I'll put it on wax and put it on the uh, iTunes, yeah, and Spotify. No, it's, it's not that simple. It's literally like a job. I just signed up myself up for a job, which is why I'm really happy about this break because I need it. My family needs it, you know? And right. so right. I am, uh, I, I just, I learned some lessons about, you know, when, it, when you get into something, you have to continue to go for it and it's, it can be time consuming. And because you're putting all that work, you, it's easy to get sucked into like when people don't listen, but it's also, you know, it shows you, it reminds you of like, what are you doing it for? So um, right. I know that was right. a 10 minute detractor. And I know that's not what people came in to listen for man but um but it's good to know i mean i i think it's good to, with this being the last episode technically uh, unless kendra season, comes unless technically unless yeah. right caveat asterisk mm-hmm. if kendrick drops we'll be back on wax right definitely <laughs> definitely gotta do one gotta do one but until then you know this is slated to be the last episode i mean you've been giving the people 
new episodes every Tuesday for a year now. A year, yeah. For a year now. That's a lot. So kudos to you. I appreciate it, We man. appreciate it. I appreciate I know it, man. I've learned some things. There are some subject matters where I typically, if it was any, I'm going to be honest, if it was anybody else presenting it, I would not have listened. Wow. Wow. I appreciate um, it. The uh, Palestinian episode yeah. is one that comes to mind. If anybody else would have presented that, I would not have listened to that. But wow. because it was you, I did, and I learned something from it. Wow. That's dope. And I think everybody that listens who is a consistent listener can say, you know what? There was one I didn't really think I was going to enjoy, but you know what? I took something away from it. And we appreciate you for it, sir. Well, that's the thing, right? And just a quick caveat. Like, one thing I, I, I pride myself on is that if you're going to give me, you're going to gift me your time, I have to let you pull something from it. And that's why even in my openings, mm-hmm. I try to give little bits and tidbits of information that, you know, you may not have known. You know, I try. Right. I try to do something like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. Like, you know, and it's what we call a segue, the Stanford thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yep. um, did you know that little thing, little thing? About Stanford? I didn't know until after the first episode premiered. Mm. And I did. And um, at first I was like, wait, where did Issa go to college? Like, oh, she went to Stanford. That's right. Because I remember a while ago. Yeah. I heard that she had gone to Stanford University, but it wasn't until scrolling through Twitter. I like to scroll through Twitter mm-hmm. after the episode goes off just to see what the people are saying. And that tidbit came up and I was like, that's really interesting. That's mm. really interesting. I mean, to just, I, I love how you tied it into the days of Beverly Hills, 90210 and uh, saved by the bell. Yeah. Like to think that those iconic white, um, TV shows couldn't even get it out of Stanford, but mm-hmm. our sister Issa Rae did. Yeah, kudos. It's bossed kudos. up. It's bossed That's up. Boss move. You know. Yeah. Um. You know. I, I. Also, by the way, a lot of people don't realize another person that went to Stanford. Um, with Issa Rae is Jadena. He actually graduated. Oh, really? He actually graduated. See, with there her. you go. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. She <laughs> graduated with her. Yeah. Didn't know that. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So yeah, it's but you're right. Like it, it, I remembered that um, that Stanford thing when I saw East Ray, I was like, oh snap! And I was t- trying to tell my wife about it, you know. And I told her afterwards. This is before the whole controversy thing. I was like, man, that's really yeah. crazy. Like, you know, her filming on Stanford, and I, I even then I don't think it really registered to my wife until I broke it down like the next day, like how iconic that really was, right? Um, because right. they don't, they just, they don't do that. That's number. They, they don't do it. They don't do that. They don't let people just get on the campus, and it's for a number of different reasons. But um, they have a strict no filming rule. So, um, yeah. your wife being in a member of that organization, um, mm-hmm. like, and then you know, obviously, you being my frat brother, man, we have, like, where did you fall on that side of it? And I, and I know this is kind of an old issue. By the time people listen, so I don't want to get too deep into because I want to talk about other things but yeah but i just still felt like we should it's let, let's at least address it right 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 we can at least address it um so yes yeah, so being a member of alpha phi alpha fraternity incorporated 
um, in being and with that being within the quote unquote Greek culture mm-hmm. um, in the black community. Personally, I get I got both sides of the coin that you mentioned in your opening monologue. Right. Um, at first, honestly, at first, I just knew she got it cleared. That's exactly by, what I thought. I just, I just knew. I'm like, I know she got it cleared for her because, and honestly, I thought she got it cleared years ago. Yeah. Because if we look back, season one, they had, they showed that um, the characters were part of Greek organizations and they had, and even her husband. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Tiffany's husband. Yeah. Derek. He had, he he had an alpha paddle. Yep, he had an alpha paddle on the wall. Yeah. So I just knew that it was cleared. So initially, when the, all the buzz was out, I didn't think anything of it. Didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Um. Now, when I found out that it was not cleared, I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Issa, damn. That's, ah, man. I, I, can't ride it. I can't ride with you on this one. Yeah. You, you should have got that cleared. Right. You should have got that clear. Knowing, and I'm surprised. I don't know if somebody, I know there are other people on that set or involved with that show that have to be part of Greek organizations. Absolutely. And, I think the, I think one of the directors or, you know, of director okay. of field, f- photography, somebody, I think that, yeah, somebody with That's some, good. with, you know, some cachet on the set is a member of that organization. Showrunners, I think. Has to be. Yeah. Has to be. And did you, you know, did you bring this to Issa's attention as you were filming? Did you choose not to? If you did bring it to her attention, did she just ignore your advice and said, I'm going to just do what I want to do, what I need to do here. It's not that serious. Right. I, you know, so, um, yeah. So initially, the initial reaction was, you know, I'm sure it's okay. We're making a big deal out of it. Now, with all that being said, they showed the representation that they showed Tiffany as an AKA was very positive. And I don't, I don't, but I don't think, and I think a lot of people got the confusion there, right? Mm-hmm. Because it really wasn't about the representation. It was more or less about the legal, legal, um, legal the principle, the legal principle of not represent the representation, but about, okay. And it, it, even more specific. And your wife knows this and we know this is showing the shield. Like, right. you know, like right. you can't put the shield on anything. Right. There's a difference between having a regular uh, T-shirt letters, having a T-shirt on with. Yeah. Yep. With letters, with letters and on, then the shield and then the shield. The like, shield takes it to a whole nother level. You can't do that. Like even to the point where that. there's a story I, you know, I told I've told this story in the past. But when I first got on this, this is, you know, I'm actually I'm going on what? How? Uh, 14 years now. Yeah. 14 years in this um in November 11th. And um when I first got on I was the I was tasked with doing some like type of something presenting for the uh presentation and I put the shield on a letterhead to the chapter, right? And uh-huh. and a brother got mad. He was like, "Yo, yo, you can't do that." Like, who can't told you who told you you put the shield? And this is a bra talking to another bra and I'm about to present to some bras. And right. you, I couldn't even put the shield on a chapter thing. They were like, "You, you can't put that on there." And mm-hmm. so, it's very, it's very particularly we can't even do that in our own organizations. So to do that 
on film and then not get right. clearance to do it and then act like it's not a big deal. It's like, well, no, um, because, you know, it's something if we can't do it, then why is it OK for you to do it? And if just because we like the, the product that you're putting out, that's fine. We may like the product, but you're doing something we can't even do. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it's it's hard to explain to people that are not within Greek culture right. the sacredness of, of our shields. Yeah. Like it's not How, it's not something we 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 share. It's very it's right. it's a very protective thing. And you might people might be rolling their eyes listening to this, but I would say that the only reason we're rolling your eyes because you feel as if it's not it's insignificant to ninety percent of other of black culture, black people, because they're not in the organizations. Mm-hmm. But my thing is that the same deference that was used to get authorization, um, because Issa and whomever felt like it was important to show proper representation of the character at Stanford or the characters at Stanford. It's the same way you have to get authorization for something that is very important to black people, especially to right. a certain to a certain segment of the population. Um, and if we don't do that, then what are we really saying? We're saying that, well, yeah. what are we saying to the other world? And I, and this gets into bigger conversation about black Greeks in film, because I, I know we're just give me give me a couple of minutes, guys. And I just want to say this. Um, And, you know, Rob, we can get delve into it, but. For a lot of, I mentioned in opening, for a lot of people, Issa was opened the door or was there really an idea, first taste of like certain segments of black culture, you know? And it's weird enough that large segments of this country, we don't interact culturally. I made a joke on Facebook about a video about Halloween and like I never knew Halloween was such a big idea until I moved into, you know, an affluent white neighborhood, right? <laughs> I didn't know, right? Right. We're very um, segmented in the way we interact with our se- within our own culture sub- subcultures. For a lot of people, East Ray w- was that opening door for that. And so, if this, she's the first time for a lot of people that they're like, I didn't even know Divine Nine was a thing. They can even right. be Greek, but like, I didn't know it was a thing. And it, and it's their first introduction to that. If the first their first introduction is to these characters about a sub organization that they was that's important to Black culture then you want to make sure you're checking all the boxes, you're dotting I's and you're crossing the T's because it's the of only time. Understanding the significance of right. this sector of black culture. Right, right, because if they're your only avenue of understanding our particular, you know, particular aspects of our culture and then you're dismissive of it, then they can be easily dismissive of it as well. That's where I'm at with it. Like we have to, if we're going to protect it, if we're going to showcase something that's important to us, then we can't be dismissive of it. Like, I love how she she's she shows you know hip hop culture and whatnot. We get into music of insecure, mm-hmm. but if she's dismissive of, yeah, man, well, you know, um, I only like certain type of music, but hip hop is dumb. You know what I mean? Like whatever. Like it's right. like we have to be. We can't. We we can't do that because every part, every aspect of the of the black diaspora is beautiful. And we don't have the opportunities to dismiss, be dismissive over certain segments because it's not part of us. Like, I, there's a lot of part of the diaspora, the diaspora that I'm not a part of that I still deem beautiful and important and sacred. And if somebody should yeah. ask me, I'd be like, yeah, no, that, that rocks. I may not do it, but that definitely rocks, you know? And so, it, go ahead. 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, because I'll just make a closing statement on it, but go ahead. Yeah, and then so I say all that to say we talk about importance, but here's the here's the thing. Um there was a movie that came out last year. Um I think it was like Dawn of the Dead or something like that. Um it's uh the director who did uh, Zack Snyder. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And he had our frat brother, Amari Hard- Hardwick, as one of the main characters, right? And um, in the backstory behind the character, I guess Zack Snyder became fascinated with the organization of Omega Sci-Fi. And it was like, oh, okay. I, he was like, I became fascinated. And he had this archetype of who Omega Sci-Fi was. And he said, oh, you know, they're strong and they're, they're, and, and they're virile. And da, da, da. he has all these, you know, it's just imagery of what they are. And he said, I wanted my character to be a member of Omega Sci-Fi. Amari Hardwick. So I was like, whatever. I don't care. It's a character. It's fake. It doesn't matter. Right. And uh, Omari is actually an alpha in real life. It's very key fact. Very key fact. Yep. Cause let me tell you why, because then in the movie, it says he's, you know, he mentions I'm a member, you know, Omega sci-fi, but then they do flashbacks of you know, each of the character. And in the flashbacks of the character, although he says, and Zack Snyder says his backstory to character is that he's an Omega. In the flashbacks, he's shown graduating college with an Alpha Phi Alpha shawl. And <laughs> he's actually, his tattoo of Alpha Phi Alpha is not covered. That would be like, wait, what? Yes, his character is an Omega, but they show Alpha <laughs> imagery. And that may seem insignificant, but what it shows is that to every, to white America, and it's, these organizations, either they're all the same, and there's no difference. And the representation right. of them does does not matter, and we should. And then because of that, we need to be even more protective over. Like, no, that's different. This is why that's important. You can't say this, and then you can think that's going to apply to that. And it shows the casualness of how they view certain sectors of Black culture. And I think that's often misunderstood when we are asking people to be protective over it. Because if you're not going to be protective over it, then who will be? Right. And that's where the disappointment set in. The disappointment set in from so many people saying, dang, Issa, I thought you were the one that would understand this. Mm -hmm. And if you did show this on TV, you would have cleared it properly. And then not be dismissive on Twitter about it. And and that's that was going to be my last statement. You beat me to it. If you did, you realize I messed up here or I could have handled this better. Don't comp- don't be so dismissive and say, well, guess I need to cancel the other episodes that I have her in the AK um, attire. Like that was bad taste. It's bad form. That part was bad form to me. Yeah. yeah. That was, I would have just, I would have been perfectly satisfied with you just saying, you know what? You, I hear what you're saying. Um, I did not take it into pr- proper consideration and get it proper approval. I will have my people and and reach out to the uh, president of AKA and see if we can have a sit down and have a discussion and come to a resolution here. Boom, yeah. done, 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 done. Um, I have a story about Bill Clinton and. Um, Phi Beta Sigma, but I'm gonna leave that for another day for another podcast because I think it's a very funny story. <laughs> um, that goes along with that point, but um, that's for season two. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, well stated, man. And I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I know probably a weekday and a week late and a dollar short of this uh, conversation, but I just felt like it'd be weird if we didn't at least address it. And um, moving on, moving forward. 
Uh, let's just talk about. Um, do you want to talk about this? Because we're by the time they listen to we we're on season. I mean, uh, episode two. Episode two. Um, let's talk about the characters and development and where we okay. think they're going to go. Because obviously, we're not going to be doing be doing episodic. You know, uh, episodes of episodic uh, breakdown, critical analysis of each episode. So, um, you know, what did you? What are your thoughts about the characters and where do you think the show is leading them, and just where definitely. and where they started from? Right, right. Um, so, with this being the last season, um, Issa actually, I believe it was on Breakfast Club. She said she really struggled with how do I how do I close this book? How do I finish this book? Since this, we have established that this will be the last season. How do I wrap all of these characters and these personalities? How do I wrap them up in a nice little bow for everybody to make everybody happy? And I don't know if it was the, her um, partner, uh, the director, Princess Penny or somebody else that said, whoa, whoa, you don't have to do that. Just keep writing the story. Yeah. These characters live on. These characters live on. Yeah. yeah. Just keep writing the story. Don't don't feel like it has to come to a solid conclusion. Like, and, I, and she said when Prentice or whoever else told her that, when they broke that down to her, she said, okay, let's go. Then she got the writing. Yeah. And, and kept it moving. And now what we do see and I think, and especially in this second episode, was very, very obvious. Um, showing the growth of each character and the maturity yeah. of each character. Because um, we're now, all of these characters are in their 30s now. We've all, yeah. everybody's pretty much hit their 30s now and hit that point in your life. So if you're, if you're 32 or older, you remember that point in your life where you say you hit 30 and you're just like, wow, where am I? Yeah. What have I done? Yeah. What, what, what will I be known for? If it all ended today, what will I be known for? And we see Issa and Molly and I, and I'm sure it looks like next week we're going to get Lawrence. Yeah. That level of, understanding and growth and introspection Mm -hmm. of themselves Mm -hmm. and who they are and who they've grown from the young, you know, adolescents in the early seasons that were just out here, just getting it, just having a good time in season one, trying to find their footing, trying to find their footing, trying to find their voice, trying to find, you know, who they are. And so now um, I think we're going to have a fun time this seeing this season watching the growth in the maturity of each of these characters. Um, and I love how she set it up with the first episode. So in order to look forward, let's remember who we were and where we came from. Hence yeah. the Stanford university episode. Yeah. So I thought it was a great, great way to open the season with that, with that episode. Um, and then I'm sure what we'll really get into is um, in that episode, the growth or the, further understanding of um what's my girl's name you know what character i'm talking about kelly 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 yes yeah yes we're gonna talk about because both of us both of us before the season premiere were like you know what i would like to see this season more of a kelly more more kelly more not just the jokes not just the perfect one-liners that she has but who is kelly 
Yeah. Like, let's break her down some. It's, I know she's more than just the jokes yeah. that, that we get every every episode. Yeah, so, like, yeah, we can get into that in, in a moment. I just want to add on, you know, to your point. Like, I really felt like um, there was a song that Ludacris did uh, back in 2008, 2009, um, and he had T.D. Jakes on there. And mm. um, and he said, it's, "Love that song." Yeah, you know what I'm Love talking about. Song. He said, and he said, yep. "I'm 28 years old. It's just starting to make sense, right? You know what I mean?" And yep. so, yep. I always thought that song was really, really interesting, um, because it showed that even though Ludacris at that point had like four or five multi, multi, multi platinum albums, and it's been extremely successful. And at that point, he had already he'd been in uh, 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 Fast and Furious, Fast and the Furious, you yep. know, Too Fast, Too Furious, and um. And so, you know, he's been it, it, in different specs of, of famous fame, right? Mm-hmm. And even before that, he was famous in Atlanta as a radio DJ, just yep. shocky. Um, but it was like, despite all these different type of experiences, he still was trying to figure out life, you know? And I always thought that was a really fascinating song. And that really shows like it's earmarked in just this show. Right, uh, because mm-hmm. you know how you different people, different spectrums of success level, but they all were trying to figure themselves out. One of the things I thought was interesting is this show started off with a base level of codependency um, from each character. Like Molly was codependent on Issa to yep. pour, you know, herself into like all her relationship issues and you know things of that nature, and then Issa was codependent on Molly for you know. You know, at the beginning, like always having that friend is always going to pay for stuff. But then you you question, right. like, are they really friends? Like their friendship was not really based in a healthy spot, right? It was like Molly's emotional support, and then Issa was like, you know, um, always that friend that always paid for stuff. Like you know, what I mean, Issa needed Molly for that almost that financial, like, oh, you you got it, you got it, you got it. You know what I mean? And, and, yes, and they both they, and they were yeah. friends, but they were friends, but it was like there was not a level of like. From healthy spaces, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, and they both had interesting family dynamics mm-hmm. where with Issa, her and her brother basically just love to take shots at each other. You've never seen them have like a real serious moment. They're not they have they don't together. have intimate they don't have intimate moments and close moments with each right. other. Right. You know? And then with Molly, they really went into her family dynamic and her trauma yeah. that she had with her parents. And and then, you know, there's somewhat of a good relationship with her brother. But there's but still a there's disconnect. Limits. There's still limits to that relationship with her brother. So, in essence, Issa and Molly, you know, they were default sisters. Yeah. They were sisters for each other. Right. Um, there were the siblings that they, they don't... Yeah, they siblings that talk. Yeah, yeah, they leaned on each other um, and to it, what I think part of their fallout was they leaned on each other too much through just the bad times. Yeah. There wasn't enough celebration of the good times. Yeah. And, and, and because of that, both of them started feeling like, well, shit, every time we come together, we talk about your bullshit. Well, every time we come together, we talk about your bullshit. Well, you know what? I'm tired of hearing about it because you're bringing me down. Right. And guess what? At the end of the day, like the idea that somebody, um, you start to kind of like they've out, I've outgrown them a little bit, right? That right. feeling of I've, right. I've outgrown you, and I, you know, 
I'm not, you're not functioning in the same space where my life is at. You know what I mean? My life is over here and you're, I, you're not where my life is at. So maybe I don't need you in the same capacity or I don't need you, period. Um, and I just want to, don't want to focus on Ethan and Molly as the codependents because Kelly was codependent on Tiffany. And that was a, right. That, so there was a level of codependence and Tiffany was codependent on Derek. You know what I mean? And so like, there's this thing of like, even you're 20, you become codependent on the people around you. And then it's in your thirties, especially as you get later on and, and, and just say in your forties and fifties that you'd be like, I can stand on my own. Fuck it. I'm just going to do what I want to do. You know what I mean? But exactly. And that early stage of your life, you're codependent on your relationships and the, and the things around you, your job defines you, your friends define you, you know what I mean? And, or even for some, my family defines me. Right. And when those things kind of get splintered a little bit, it, Lawrence, hell, she was codependent on Asa. So the show, yeah. the show started off with a base of this codependency that I think everybody had to go through the growing pains of like weeding that out a little bit and moving away from that, you know, and I'm glad the it, show didn't walk away from it. Definitely. Definitely. And and let's not forget that um, even though what everyone likes to tweet about and the hot topic is always Issa and Lawrence, Lawrence and Issa, are they going to make it? Are they going to figure it out? The basis, the premise, the main premise and basis of this show are the relationship between the ladies. That's that's actual factual, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of people lose sight of that. Yeah. The main premise of this show is Molly, Issa, Kelly, and um, and what's my other girl name? Tiffany. Tiffany. Yeah. Molly, Issa, Kelly, and Tiffany, and. And you, you, you started it when you talked about Tiffany and Kelly's relationship because Molly and Issa were so dependent on each other to the point where it's kind of like by default, Kelly and Tiffany formed their own dependent relationship Yeah, because they were like, well, shit, if Molly and Issa are always going to each other, who's going to hear me out? Right. And then Kelly and Tiffany started being that for each other. Right. So- well... Yeah. Then Tiffany got a man, got yeah, pregnant, pregnant yeah. started having other um, friends that were mothers and, and so forth. And then they they had their falling out. Right. So in season four, we saw the falling out between Tiffany and Kelly. And um, now this life shifting. And because yeah, falling yeah. out might be a hard thing, right? Because it was right. just life was shifting. And then you're trying to figure out where does life what does like that mean for me? You know what I mean? Like when you're like, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Your friend is, sh- your friend is shifting in a different space. And it's like, well, dang man, like, okay, what does that mean for me now? You know, we've all, so I thought about this throughout my life in the different stages in my life. Yeah. And we, I think we can all relate. There are certain people that have been in certain chapters of your life. Yeah. Some people have been in every chapter. Some of us have been blessed to have friends like that, that have been in from day one. Right. Some people were just for a certain season and for a certain portion of your life, whether it be your high school years, your college years, your early 20s. Um, but you're right. It's not I don't I'm thanks for calling me out. It's not necessarily a falling out because just because certain people don't move into the next chapter of your life doesn't mean that there's not love there. Right. It just means that the shifting has begun and you have to learn to adjust yourself and your presentation of not only your placement in their life, but your presentation of 
like, okay, what about my own things? You know what I mean? Why is, Mm -hmm. and why is this so important to me? You know? And so I, I I appreciated that. I appreciated that, that, um, that little like nugget and just talking about Kelly for a little bit. Right. So, um, Kelly's always been the most fascinating character on the show for me. One, you know, because especially during season one through four, she's always been a scene stealer. You know, mm-hmm. like every scene she's in, like Kelly has a funny line or a funny a statement that like st- sticks with the episode, you know, and you always want like, well, I want more Kelly. Um, but I think what was great about it is that showing the lens behind that, like, you know, Kelly, she wants more. She wanted people right. to value her. There's a lot more to her. And, you know, we've we've talked about it in season one. You know, uh, you know, they mentioned in season one rather about how Kelly had a podcast it really wasn't until season five where she you showed her recording her podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was it wasn't another until the, that first episode. Yeah. That I forgot all about it, honestly. Right. You know what I mean? And so, um, which is what I do like about the show, and they did this again in episode two, callbacks to like different parts of the seasons. Like you were like, Oh, I remember yeah. they talked about this, right? Um, that showed you a healthy show when they're not they're not deleting the history of that show. You know what I mean? They're like Staying within the the, the characterization of that they or the mythology that they've built up, Um, but yeah, and and was for Kelly. I thought was great because, and I think it really the memoriam that really set in tone for her. Like, man, this is what people remember me as, and I think that's it. It was the first time they humanized her on the show. She was truly hurt in that scene in the car when. She actually tried to take a moment to be vulnerable and have her girls listen to her. Yeah. And everyone blew it off. Except for Tiffany. Except for Tiffany, because she knew. Yeah. Because she knew. Mm -hmm. Because they had been through their storm. Mm -hmm. And and Tiffany was the one that she has been. We haven't seen it on camera, but we knew that Kelly and Tiffany had this bond. And only Tiffany in that car could feel like, nah, she ain't playing right now, y'all. Like, she's serious. Like, this is really hurting her right now. And we need to be there for her. And it wasn't until later on when the next morning when they were at the uh when they were at the um the coffee house or little breakfast spot yeah. where I think Issa and and um Molly started okay, our bad. We weren't there. We weren't there for our sister when she needed us. Right, and like I wasn't listening to you, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I heard you, but I wasn't listening to you. And um, I think those are important parts of a friendship. When you you have to like redefine how people see you in that friendship. You know what I mean? Right. That's always a hard part, right? When people see you a certain way, and you've kind of and you've played part and parcel of that because you've played the 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 funny person or the quick witted person or the person that mm-hmm. is always like you know like smart aleck and. You know, not doesn't take anything seriously, or the, I'm the partier. You know what I mean? And then was like, "Yo, man, I really I'm going through some shit." And it's like, it you're trying to get people to take you seriously in another space, you know? Right. And it's that could be in difficult. Twenties in your twenties, you were the good time. You were the good time person. Good time person. When yeah. when, when everybody else was down, yo, let me call Kelly because Kelly's I know always Kelly gonna Kelly gonna turn up and she gonna get me right. She gonna keep like, it rocking. Let me call, yeah. She gonna keep it rocking, and that's cool. Cause in your twenties, you know that's that's the lifestyle that we lived. Um, but now we're in our thirties, and it's like ah, it's 
that lifestyle has kind of faded. Yeah. And now let's get to the depth of who am I? Yeah. What, what have I done? You know, um, I, uh, you know, my wife, she'll tell me about friends and, you know, how they've changed positions throughout her life and things that she's noticed, you know, some friends, she realized like only come around when they need something or yeah. they're asking for something. Yeah. And she had to kind of reevaluate like, dang, like when's the last time you just called me to just say hello yeah, and see how I'm doing mm-hmm. and check on my mental health. Like, you know, um, we take for granted, we take that for granted. And, you know, to this point where I, I've made a point to start texting people out of the random, like, Hey, we haven't talked in a while, but you know what? You came up on my mind. Yeah. How are you? You know, don't feel any pressure to reply to this immediately. Like, you know, just wanted to let you know you were on my mind. We need that for each other because we're all we got. You know, I, and I try to do that with my friends a lot, though. I always like I, I'm it's weird because I, I don't fit the archetype of like typical male. Right. Like, I, you know, they say men don't like to talk on the phone. No, I'll, I'll call you on the phone. I've called you. Mm-hmm. I call you. You know, I, you know, I'm good for calling oh, yeah. you random. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, what's up? Oh, nothing, man. Just call and say what's up. You yeah. know, I ain't got nothing. Yeah. I'm just calling and say what's up, bro. In, in, yeah. in, in there are times where you made that random call with no, no um agenda, yeah. and it's turned into some really deep conversations between us. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, I think that's important, right? Because I think that's part of the connector, right? Like, it's it's cool that always be known as one thing, but it's like, nah, man, like, well, I just, you know, let's just rap about anything. You know what I mean? Right. I just, that's how you, I think like, that's how you really get to know people. Uh, you just kind of start rapping to them um, about things that they didn't even think they thought, wanted to think about, mm-hmm. which is kind of like mm-hmm. how, like I've, I view it like, a, again, things I learned this podcast, I, I've learned it. Like I pretty much operate my life as a podcast because I'm always looking for the interesting conversation with somebody. And I'm always searching for like, oh, okay, well, why is that? Or you know, I'll ask, I'll ask probing questions about something because I'm interested in hear what your thoughts are. You know what I mean? Or I want to know a little bit more about you or what that experience really means. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they showed with Kelly. They're giving her some more color to her character. Definitely. You know, um, one of our favorites. What about Lawrence, man? I know we don't know what's going to happen with Lawrence, but I, I <laughs> I've you know, I've, I've, I've re- re- rewatching it. We, I rewatched seasons one through, you know, four. four. Yep. Yeah. And, um, yep. it's interesting to see Lawrence's progression now as I'm on the other side of it. So for Lawrence and my wife has joked with me a, a lot. She's like, damn, you're so much like him. Like I've mm-hmm. seen, like I can relate to Lawrence because I feel like I am Lawrence in, in just, so many ways from, you know, getting maybe getting off to a slow start with your career, but then p- picking it, picking it up. I got off to a very slow start with my career, but then picked up the pace and and made those jumps that I needed to, to do, um, you know, with relationships where you try to go through the whole phase. But in, in reality, deep down, you know, you're a relationship guy. Some guys are just relationship guys. Yeah, I was that guy. I was that guy. I was a relationship guy. Now, I tried to play the field, tried to go through my whole phases and everything. And, you know, got a couple of stories to tell. But it's not, um, it's, it's, but but it's not you. Yeah. It wasn't me. Yeah. It wasn't It wasn't me. 
And I think that's what Lawrence is figuring has figured out or is figuring out. And he thought he had figured out until Condola dropped that bomb on him, dropped that baby bomb right. on him. And we'll see and how that turns out. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how that turns out. But in his mind, as we ended season four, he was like, no, I got it. Issa, yeah. you're it. Yeah. Like, I know we've gone through our rough patch, but Issa, you're it. Um, but then circumstances and karma, God, whatever you want to call it, came and said, no, it's not that simple with y'all two. I'm going to throw another little wrench in it to the point where Issa just said, yo, maybe there's a reason we're not together. Like, there's a, it shouldn't be this hard. It should not be this difficult for us to just make this work. Every time we think we have it figured out, something else happens. Why is that? And then on top of that, being at the point in our lives where Issa's trying to figure things out, where she's even, you know, she even has her own organization and she's an entrepreneur now, but she still doesn't feel successful. And Lawrence has this new life that has been brought upon him. Like, this just isn't the time for us. What, um, what, what, yeah, what, I, go ahead. what I like about that, their dynamic though, even, you know, where the, the leaving off where they kind of just moved on, or at least for this point is that life is not cookie cutter. You know what I mean? Right. And right. it leaves itself with difficult questions and difficult scenarios that we often have to address. And, um, yeah. you know, and, and, I like that they didn't go for the easy, like, okay, well, you know, Lauren has a baby and I'm just going to deal with that. Or like, but reality, right. I, I, I appreciated that Issa was especially in episode one and they did the, the year jump and we'll get into that. But, um, she was like, yeah, I'm just uh. tired. I'm tired. I just want to, I want to just finally have some more control of my life and I need to figure this yeah. out. I need to get more stability. And right now I can't do that worrying about myself and creating a standard in my life and worrying about somebody else um, situation. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, exactly. they, he needs exactly. to figure that out. I need to figure that out. And then, you know what? I love that. We can't do that together right now. And we yeah, can't. we can't do that together. And I also loved how the show leans into the idea of like quietness. I loved <sighs> how the show de- delves into the awkwardness of conversations um, because Listen, it's too easy to get into that whole monologues and the perfect, you know, the I perfect speech. I was just speech. about to say, every, every sitcom we've watched, nine times out of ten, that scene between at the end of episode one with Issa and Lawrence, what does it look like? It's, a it's perfect, raining. Yeah. It's, it's raining outside. They get into a little argument at first. The argument turns into, but I still love you and somebody confessing their love for the other person. They kiss and make up in the rain. Or it gets into this whole like monologue about like just perfect statements, right? But we've all been in right. state comp we've all been in spaces where like You ain't know what to say. You don't know what to say. And then it's you like you know what to say. But the person got it. Yeah, you know? and it wasn't until yeah. afterwards like, damn, I should have said this. Or maybe I should have said that. But mm-hmm. sometimes the best statements are no statements at all. Because in that moment you're looking for the perfect statement, but nothing comes out. Right. Yeah. Because you're so desperate to look for the perfect statement that you just say nothing. I just say nothing. And, the, and, right. and there's just silence. 
but it's, it's understood like within that si- silence, everything's being said. You know what I mean? Yeah, there you go. And that the mm-hmm. nonverbals are important, right? And the energy and quote unquote. Now we have a thing where we say it, it's popular reading reading the room. You know what I mean? Like like read reading the fucking room. Like okay, I get it. I see what's got happening now. So um, that's what I I do appreciate. I'm not. We don't know how this journey is going to end with Ethan Lawrence, or they, right. even or even if there will be an Ethan Lawrence. But I do appreciate like that. It's like giving them a real opportunity to kind of like we just need to figure things out on our own because Issa was at a space a year ago, you know, in show term show terms of you know I don't have any real um, I don't have anything uh, uh, standing right now. I'm just kind of like mm-hmm. I'm on I'm on uneven level and it's making me uncomfortable. You know, and I'm living in this uncomfortable and honestly, I'm sick and tired of it. And that's the really thing about adulthood, right? You get to a place where you're like, I'm just sick and tired of like doing dumb shit. I'm just sick and tired of doing the same dumb shit over and over again. I'm just sick and tired of it. Running in circles. Yeah, I'm I'm tired tired of of it. Yeah, like I'm tired of it. Like I am literally exhausted by by the memory of me doing the same damn hamster wheel bullshit, you know? And I wanted, I want change. I want difference. And you go, you can do that several times throughout throughout your life. You'd be oh, like, yeah. you know what? I'm just tired of it, man. I don't, whether that's in like your business or your job or your relationships or even your marriage. Like, I'm just tired of this. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something different. Growth, and, Growth that, and evolving. Right. Yes. Which leads us into yes. like episode two. And they talk about, you know, the showing, which I, you know, the growth is particularly within Issa and Molly. You know, mm-hmm. no, I do. I do love the fact that how um, they showed it takes intentionality to be to grow. Yeah. And this. Yeah. Go ahead. This was the Molly that I've been waiting for for five seasons. Yeah. Because I watch Molly and. And this is why I love this show so much. I'm going to be honest, ladies. Molly is a depiction of a, is a very accurate depiction of a lot of ladies I see out here. That's fair. From the sense where on paper, in presentation, it checks out. Looks amazing. It checks, checks out. Checks, checks boxes. all the boxes on paper yeah. and in presentation. You can't tell me otherwise. Lawyer, beautiful. Funny. Well, funny, articulate. Yeah. Um, cool. At the same time, um, but when you peel back there those layers, there's so much pain, there's so much hurt, there's so much unresolved insecurity. Uh, hence, the word, hence the insecu- term insecu- insecurity. insecurity. Yeah, insecurities there, and and then finally Molly just in like like you just said, callback. Like you just said, enough is enough. Yeah, I'm tired of doing the and same thing. I've, I've I'm always tired. Yeah. I just wanted, and she looks back yeah. she, when she went to her uh, her her um social media page when she went to whatever that the, app the, was the, that the she was app, on yeah. the Tinder whatever and she was like yo that's what I was on like dang yeah and then she just thinks back her interaction with the guys that she's had over the years and and honestly took inventory of what they were saying to her and said damn I really was on that bullshit. Right and, and go ahead. I'm sorry. Go to see that gro- to see that understanding of her and that self reflection. That was the and 
even with the short haircut, that was as sexy as she's been to me in this whole in this whole show. So because of that vulnerability, to, yeah. that vulnerability from her was very appealing, very sexy. I thought she was outstanding in this episode. Yeah, and um, so I, I have a thing about a low haircut. So I'm gonna I'll get into that in a moment. But one thing I did, <laughs> no seriously, I, yeah, I, yeah. So I'll get into that in a second. But um, the thing I I really did, I, I really did appreciate about Molly in this particular episode is that um, is being willing to lean into the things that you've done wrong and be like, okay, realizing that I'm the common denominator. And then what is not only I am the common denominator, but what is the thing, you know what I mean? And like, let me correct it. So I have a friend of mine, he was mentioning how like, you know, he's, you know, he's getting ready to turn um, 40 and he's really, trying to figure out relationships and uh, he's like, man, I, I realized that I'm the issue. You know what I mean? And I realized the issue stems from different parts of my life. Cause I've, and I've, I've blamed other women, but I'm the really issue. And it, you know, he wouldn't have gotten there without, without therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and shout out to therapy. And so, shout um, out to therapy. Yeah. And big so, advocate. Yeah. Big advocate over here as well. And so, um, you know, but it's like him finally taking ownership of the mistakes he's made and has that has gotten him to the space that he's in. And that was like really a dope conversation. And I appreciated that. It showed growth. And I again, mm-hmm. it's it's a certain segment in your life where you're like, I'm just ready to grow. I'm ready to do the things. But I have to look at I have to be honest about the mistakes I've made and why I keep making these same dumb mistakes, you know, because I don't want to do this anymore. I can't see myself doing this for the next Two, three, four, five, ten years anymore. I'm exhausted by it. Um, just the thing about the the haircut. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I I do appreciate and is that leaning into the idea of black femininity, and a lot of times in this world in this culture, um, a certain type of hair, hairstyle is, um, I guess projected as the ideal of black femininity and it's a certain type of like you know it's the weave or whatever like that right mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with it right there's nothing wrong with that but um when a woman cuts off the veneer of her hair because her hair is really big for a black woman right. and it's protecting it's a certain certain level of protectionism within the black fe- uh, femininity black fe- feminine spirit and when they cut that off they're showing to the world that I'm, I'm confident and I'm, and I'm, I'm beautiful either way, but there's a certain level of beauty and confidence that goes into like, I'm not hiding behind thinking that it's tied into the crown on my head. And, um, you know, I've seen that with my own two eyes with my wife when, you know, she cut her hair down and she, you know, she just leaned into the feminine aspect of just everything else, not tied into her hair. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Her hair wasn't the biggest thing that made her beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And although her hair is beautiful either way, I I I've always been an advocate of a shortcut. I love the shortcut because I think a, a shortcut shows a competent woman. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and definitely I definitely respect I, that. Yeah, and I, and and so seeing Molly cut her hair was both a physical representation of her being more confident in her space. And not trying to project something else, and I and I I appreciated that I really did. Right. So, right. 
yeah, me talking about women's hair and they're like, what kind of podcast is this? All right. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, um, let's talk about, let's, let's shift gears a little bit mm-hmm. and let's just talk about, unless you want to keep delving into characterizations here. I, no, go ahead. No, okay. I think we've done a pretty good job of that. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, where insecure, Oh no. Why does insecure was so important to black culture? Like what was that thing? Like, what did it do? Like, how did yeah. it tap it? Like how, like, you know, cause there's like, there's black shows and some hit and some don't. So like what, yep. what made it hit the, in your opinion? For me, what I think what made it hit in is this is the first show that generations in a certain time period can really relate to. Like you can watch this show. I tell everybody that is 25 and older you relate to this show in some form or fashion. Definitely, I'll even say 30, I'll say 30 or 30 and old, because you can remember this time in your life. And we've all experienced in some form or fashion what these characters are experiencing in Insecure. So we know their pain and we know their struggle. And Issa does such a good job of doing it where she paints this picture of where she's from in California, but a kid from Maryland, like myself, from Virginia and Maryland, like myself, can still relate. A kid from um, my wife from the Midwest, from Michigan, can still relate. A kid from the South, somebody from the South in Louisiana. We can all relate to these characters because of the realism behind it. And it, they, she does an amazing job of really being true and diving into the insecurities that we have in our mid-20s, in, in mid to late 20s and going into our 30s and just trying to figure out life. Um, I've honestly really thought like it's been decades since I feel like we've seen an era-defining show, sitcom, in our culture like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, and when I think about it, it goes back to the different worlds, mm-hmm. the Cosby shows, the living singles, um, to the point where um, during the pandemic, during the early months of the pandemic, um, Hulu brought Living Single back on TV. And Wifey and I watched all of Living Single again. If you haven't watched Living Single in your 30s and you only remember it from when you were like in your teen years yeah, kid, and everything, yeah, yeah. go watch it again. Yeah. Oh, completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. Completely different. I, I got the jokes that much better i understand the struggles of the of everybody in that cast i i appreciate living single so much more because i lived it yeah and we haven't had a show like that until insecure in my opinion so i'm i'm gonna piggyback off that and say that i think one of the things that made the show work and you're you're talking about with in between the different worlds and um, even Cosby Show and um, uh, you know, Living Fresh Prince, but there's mm-hmm. the level of authenticity in Black experiences, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think what really made the Fresh Prince work, you know, wasn't the, you know, characterizations of like, like Carlton or Uncle Phil. We don't have, not a lot of us have the rich Uncle Phil, right? You right. know what I mean? But, right. um, which someone's, uh, one of my, uh, never you say you're, you're kind of like Uncle Phil, but anyway, that's another, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I don't have Uncle Phil's money. I just want to put that out there. Um, so, so, but, um, the thing what made the, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air work was the authenticity within the black conversations they had. Like, you know, yeah. like what, yeah. we all remember that episode, Will's father, you know, said, I didn't want this. It just happened. You know, you know? <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Ben Vereen, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, How come he don't want me, man? No, he don't want me, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, uh, or the, you know, Carl, give me the gun. Give me the gun. You owe me. You know, oh, like, you know what I mean? Or like Carlton trying to pledge a fraternity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they question his blackness. His, his he blackness. ain't black enough. Yeah, black enough. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? And so um, just all those experiences, man, of like th- th- those are the segments that really made the show work. And it, 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 and you think about like the living single, like you said, there's aspects of living in your twenties that you're like, ah, I get it. I get that now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The Cosby mm-hmm. show, one of the things that made the Cosby show so authentic um, was that the ideal that there are black middle-class households, you know, yeah. and you know, we all don't live the struggle life. You know what I mean? There are people who live a, a, a life that is not dependent on, are they going to make the next check? You know what I mean? Right. Their experiences right. are based on just human interactions, right? And so there's a level of authenticity within that. Um, a different world, the representation of like um, an HBCU, HBCU, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And how it, it gave authentic, um, uh, an authentic presentation of that, right? So Martin, even Martin, Martin was a yeah. authentic because guess what? Martin represented the hip hop culture. Like it was very into culture, culturally specific, right? You know what I mean? Like it, it, it leaned into that. And that was a very like, you know, um, when you watch those episodes, like it's just, uh, the touchstones that they use, the statements that they make, the guests that they put on, like, you know what I mean? Like it was, it, they leaned into a very specific diaspora of, of African-American culture and right. is authentic. So where, where if you didn't have an uncle Phil, um, you definitely had an uncle like Martin or an uncle or, like Tommy or yeah, a cousin like you know what I mean, like you, or a cousin like, like Cole. Cole, like, right, right, yeah. You 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 had family members like the ones you saw on Martin, right? And you know, or they they did other, you know, people within that Martin like Shanene. We all knew what we we kind of knew was Shanene. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, you know what I mean? So like, uh, uh, it was just I think it was a it delved into it leaned into the authentic black experience. So with that being said, with Insecure, I think Insecure leaned into authentic experience, the black experience, mm-hmm. to a place that um, felt fresh because we hadn't seen it. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? We hadn't seen there it yet. Like we, and we knew it existed, you know, but it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't represent, <laughs> represented prior to this show. We did like there are other shows. Now, don't get me wrong. There have been other good black shows Absolutely. in the years in between Different World and Insecure. But to gather the whole black diaspora and to truly dive into the essence of it and also make it very relatable at the same time, 
that's a very difficult thing to do. But let's and to get it and to get it green light, green lit. Yeah, on the big screen. That's that was the that was it for Issa. So let's 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 like even talk about it. like the fact of its lead star. You know, especially it happened in the era of where it was so easy to put on like a strong black woman, right? And it, mm-hmm. and in this show, it tore down the frame of like the lead star in the show is not a strong black woman in that set yeah. in, in a traditional sense. Like she don't have her yeah. shit together. Yeah. She don't always yeah. got the right answers. She's living in a she's going from sleeping on the couch to sleeping. You know what I mean in a in a an apartment and trying to make the apartment. Mm-hmm. Sleeping with at her friend's house, at yeah. her boyfriend's house. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's just all types of messy. You know what I mean? Her shit is just like, you know, you know, um, it just, it doesn't fit the archetype of right. like what we want to put, like, you know, un, the unfavorable archetype really of the strong black woman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the person who also has all the answers and like the, the person who's just, you know, got it all, got everything together, get their shit together. And I think because there, you could argue that Issa has is the least put it together out of all four of them, right? In the group, literally, and even the people who have their shit together, like Molly, don't got their shit together. Yeah, you know what I mean. So like, <laughs> like she got it together professionally, like checking the boxes, but, but emotionally and emotionally and and yeah, the other substantive areas, yeah. she's not she's not well put together. So I think. It it tore away from that thing of having black characters that always got the right answer, always cool, always right. cool, always got their shit together. And there was a level of familiarity, even if you've never lived in L.A., even if you've never dated, you know, um, episodically as like as uh, uh, Molly did or you didn't you didn't, you know, go to Stanford. It was the level of authenticity is in the black experience of like we ain't got our shit together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we we always got our, got our shit together. And I think that familiarity to that is what rendered it into a classic show, in my opinion. Again, I'm not a yeah. film critic. You know, I guess I, we're all film critics at some point. But I, I think that therein lies, for me, what the what I loved, what I continue to love about the show. Um, and, and let's just and then I'll take it even further. So, Issa Rae, awkward black girl, right? right? Yeah. Um. Wifey, back in the day, before Insecure came out, Wifey put me on to it. She's like, yo, me and my girls have been watching this YouTube series called Awkward Black Girl. It is hilarious. Right. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What? <laughs> and I see this grainy, low-budget, you know, uh, film where somebody, you know, either just had a, a basic film that she, who knows where she got it, camera, that who knows where she got it from. And she said, you know what? I got a vision. I think this is funny. I think this is relatable to a lot of black women. Let's just go. I'm going I'm to put it out there and I'm going to run with it. And it's she, can we go as far as to say a pioneer of this era where yeah. to take a web series, to take a web series and then make and turn that into one of the biggest shows on a major production like HBO. Yeah. Who has a reputation of years and years of outstanding TV and film. Mm-hmm. And to put yourself at the pinnacle of that of that, you know, um list of great greatest shows of all time on that network. That's 
that's outstanding. That's you know, she's a pioneer. She's a pioneer. She's a pioneer. And yeah. and I I imagine I would imagine a true inspiration and kind of the blueprint for what do we see nowadays? We see tons of people trying to take their thoughts, put on these little productions on YouTube, and just see where it takes them. Yeah. Because they have this same passion for film and and getting the black experience out there. Yeah. And and Issa was one of the first ones to really take take it to that next level. Yeah. I and that's that I'm gonna, you know, in my closing I'm gonna address address that about, you know, things I pulled from her. Um mm-hmm. you know, but you're correct hundred percent on that. Um one of the things I do love about Issa is the music. Uh yes. So I was telling uh, my girl Alicia, um today I was talking to her about it. I said it's it's funny, man, because um I try to stay current on a lot of issues, both socially and musically, right? And what I did think, though, like, uh, and this is what makes insecurity going to be, it's going to be missed for a large segments of, you know, black uh, population, especially those who are now, they're not living in that life anymore. And their their life is circumvented to the, you know, home, family, work, you know what I mean? They're not out mm-hmm. listening. Even, you know, as they get older, like, I don't listen to that stuff anymore. I just listen to my playlist. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, you right. got you to gotta right. listen to, like, no, you got to listen to, like, what is it? What is music? Where is it going? You know what I mean? Where is it? Yeah. And yeah. what I think was so great about Insecure also is that it provided a lens for people who are not in that space anymore that Issa and her friends are in, um, even like culturally. And it's like, oh, so that's what that's what that's what the vibe is. That's what's hot right now. That's what okay. the vibe is like. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. as much as it was like a window for like white America into black culture, it was a window for certain segments of black culture who were. Like, I don't live that anymore. So that's, and it allows me to see, oh, that's what's happening in in a dating world. That's what's happening in music, musically that I think that's what made it so brilliant because it provided a different space uh, for people to experience that and not feel guilty about experiencing that. Yep. You know, you you hit all the points exactly. Um, I've gone on Apple music and, uh, you know, gone to the insecure playlist, right. and over the over the years, I'll pull songs from Masego. Right. I'll pull songs from um this artist and that artist, and say, yeah, that was oh yeah, I remember that was the vibe on that on that episode. Oh yeah, and and she places the songs. There's always an intro song. Yeah, there's always one that she rides out with. And then they, she sprinkles about two or three of them for certain moments throughout each episode during the transitions yeah. in each episode, and it's just beautifully done, one wonderfully done. Yeah, music. Loved it all. Music is a touchstone to the Black American experience, and yeah. for her, especially to create artists or not create to create um, a window for artists who most people would not interact with under daily consumption mm-hmm. of uh, music. It's it was fantastic. And I will say, um, I too, but I, on title, title has this growing list of insecure songs, one through season one through four. And I, and I think I, let's look at it today. It was like 12 hours of like music, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But like songs he's right. played over four years or, you know, yeah. or four seasons rather. And, um, I think that was, uh, I think that's really, it's, it's really one of her, the, the legacies there, 
of music. And it, it, it brought me back to thinking about, again, we mentioned Martin, but also like New York Undercover. The best thing about <sighs> New York Undercover was that... Ooh. It, the last scene the, at the club. The last scene in the club. It always had like music, and I think that's something that we, again, it's like a missed opportunity. You know, we a missed. missed oh, oppor- it's man. a missed opportunity for a lot of shows, and I mean, it's like, yo, like, play some shit like that's culturally relevant in our community, or that it should be culturally relevant that they don't even know about. You know, and yeah. um. Yeah. I I loved how Insecure did that. I don't know if they did that consciously, you know, tying in with like New York Undercover and how they did that. But I I always feel like shows miss opportunities and without and, and by not doing that. Um, right. So I always right. appreciated it. Um, real quick, um, I did like. The, I want to talk about episode two again with Issa, um, and how she's kind of like going through this stage of. Um, we talk about authenticity and dealing with what does it what does it mean to you're trying she's trying to navigate in this new space of appealing to mm-hmm. her responsibilities of her business and also remaining true to herself. And as somebody mm-hmm. that you know, I've experienced that and you experienced that. What did you what did you pull from that? Yeah. Um, so in this second episode, where she's finding her voice. Yeah. You know, she's entering boardrooms now. She's having meetings with major corporations and and her her um, her brainchild is really starting to take off. And and now she's experiencing the struggle between, you know, keeping it real and taking care of the corporate partner Mm -hmm. at the same time. And everybody that's been in business has been in that position. Where do you draw that line? Where do you stand on that line between keeping it real and, and, you know, fulfilling the needs of the, your white corporate partner and, or corporate sponsor, so to speak. And so I think, I thought they played that out very nicely. Um, Of course, in the episode, it worked out pretty nicely for her, but we both know it don't always work out like that. Right. Right. And, you know, I, in fact, I remember watching it, with wife last night and I was like, Oh, I don't know if that's going to work. I liked yeah. it, but I was like, I don't know if it's appropriate for a corporate event, you know, but again, uh-huh. you know, I guess, you know, more free thinking company was like, Oh, it blew my mind. It, it worked. But, um, there's that balance, right? Because it's like, uh, like, how do you, how do you not lose yourself in your responsibilities? Right. And, right. You know, I know I've, I experienced that and it, it wasn't until a few years ago that I was like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm just gonna start letting people see the real whole me and not like just this curated idea of what they think I am. You know? Um We've Go ahead. <laughs> we've all experienced it. We all do it. I mean, I work for a major Fortune five hundred organization. The code switching. Yeah. Which is there's you gonna know, be a podcast any, on that actually. I, I wanna do a podcast oh, on code man. switching. Yeah. Every young black every black professional in the corporate world knows about code swishing. If you don't know, listen to season two of Kamara's pod. Of, of <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> because we've all done it. And it's like, we've just naturally like, there's not a, there's not a school. There's not a class that teaches us how to code switch. I didn't learn that at North Carolina A&T. Right. I didn't know. Um, 
you know, you didn't learn that at Sacramento State. Like, right. it's just something that you just, as black people, we met. It's so instinctual. But actually, I would it's actually push so back and say that we did learn it at school. We learned it through the school of life, right? Mm, and okay. so, like, it, okay. we just picked up things and um, we kind of, sidebar, I, I'm, I'm watching that Colin Kaepernick thing. Um, I haven't watched that yet. Yeah. Yeah. So it just touched on a couple things, but one thing I, 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 I like that it goes into this, the nooks and crannies of like the black experience that often is not really articulated. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it curates the way how we consume the world and how the world consumes us. And so I don't, not to give mm-hmm. any spoilers. So, um, but yeah, I, I, um, I found that fascinating that, she found herself being a protection, you know, she, she, it's protectionism of Crenshaw, right? When she first, right. you know, and then, but then she was like not remaining authentic to Crenshaw at some, in the same yeah. space. Like, so she was very protective over it, but then she was leaning into the ideal of the, you know, white ideology of how, she, how well, they should consume our culture. You know what I mean? She got to a point where like, I understand what you need and what you're asking for, Crenshaw. I see the vision, but we also need these dollars. Right. And in her argument was, you know what? Can you take a couple of little L's now just to get to a better standing? And then when you really big, you can just, you know, you, you, you press all the buttons. You, you tell them what you want. Um, but and so I, 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 understood her struggle in trying to you know stay true to this artist but at the same time as a businesswoman she had to secure them dollars but here's here's the thing right so it's the it's the if i keep taking a little bit it's like moving the line like we talked about Mm -hmm. that's why i said art imitates life i said that um because one of the things that's interesting about copyright law like and i'm going back to where i started if you don't defend a position initially, you lose that position indefinitely. You know what mm. I mean? And so you have to continue to defend it or else people say you start setting precedent like, oh, you never you didn't have a problem when so and so used your image, but now you have a problem. So what is the difference now? You know, so right. I have to right. I have to every time my imagery is used, I have to create a kerfuffle about it. You know what I mean? In order to make sure that I'm protecting the very thing that I value. And so in the episode, Crenshaw is like, listen, I I have a vision and my my authenticity is important as much as much as it's in my art. And right. if I start taking off parts of my authenticity, I may lose myself. And Ooh, I don't want and I don't mm. want to be a sellout. Because I'm mm-hmm. trying to get to a space, you know, and I think that's a very honest conversation of like life of like, do we often lose ourselves trying to protect the very thing, you know, that we, you know, that we think we're protecting, you know what I mean? Right. Do we lose right. ourselves in that, you know, because we're trying to make, we're trying to make it consumable to the outside world as opposed to making the world adjust to our reality. Yeah. We have to uh-huh. adjust to their reality, but they, and they never have to adjust to our reality. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's the the undertone and the statement that I think was being made, and something that I appreciated. So good point, yeah. very good point, yeah, very um, good point. And then, so now, after the show, 
the the range of emotions that were going through Issa were very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, to, you know, where she's just standing there and you would think after the corporate sponsor was happy, uh, Crenshaw still did his thing and stayed true to his vision. Everybody was happy. You'd think she'd be jumping for joy, mm-hmm. but she wasn't. And she felt a sense of loneliness in the moment. Um, where she ends up reaching out to uh old boy. Um, help me with his name right now. Yeah, Nate. 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 And so we get to the scene where she calls him over and then they crawl in the bed and she breaks down crying. And so after that scene was over, um I conceded to my wife and actually my wife and uh her homegirl, um, her best friend, we were all watching it together. So after that scene, I asked him, I was like, what was that cry about? Because mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure I, I understood what that cry was truly about. And so they said that it was Lawrence. Like, it, even though it had been a year yeah. that she has, you know, opened herself up to somebody else because she was focusing on herself as she justly should have, just, t- just taking that next step back into intimacy she thought she was ready but she really wasn't even with somebody that she had been intimate with before she still wasn't ready for that next step so i thought that was a very poignant and interesting way to end the episode because you know honestly i was like i I didn't quite fully get and grasp Mm. what were the emotions she was going through in that moment until they broke it down for me what i loved about that is that they didn't, as we talked about, they didn't explain that. But they would. The they, silence again. The silence, living in that understanding, reading the room, right? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. expecting those who have been in that experience to understand what exactly she's experiencing, you know? And yeah. without going through the whole thing, like her sitting up in the bed and be like, let me tell you, Nate, what's really going on in my mind. And let me give you, mm-hmm. let me give you a two minute monologue, what's, what, what I'm experiencing. <laughs> and, um, that again is something that I love about the show, learning to live within, hey, if you understand this character, then you understand where it's going. And even if you don't understand it, I want you to think about it and not be like, this is dumb. Because it, really, film is all about real estate. If they're using a valuable real estate to show that she's experiencing something, then where does that emotion come from? Um, right. And so, you know, I did think it was, I didn't pinpoint it to like, you know, Lawrence, but I did pinpoint it to like, you know, I'm just, I'm not ready. Like not saying that she misses Lawrence, but like mentally, like I'm just, I am not emotionally ready right now to go to this next step with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? I can't do it right now. Yeah. Like I, I'm yeah, to open myself up to somebody. Cause at I'm, this time. I'm just getting into another space and I'm just not there and that's okay because yeah. you know what? That's growth because growth would have been like, we're just going to do this. You know what I mean? We're just gonna. I'm gonna bottle that up, and I'm just gonna do this because I'm gonna fit a certain physical need that I want. Right. You know. Right. Um, and kudos, kudos to Nate for recognizing that and being cool with it. Well, Nate's always been the cool, cool with it. He's always been the cool, cool guy. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Even when you watch and, it, season and, and, one, season three, and four. And hey, here we go again. Call back. You would think if anybody understands the mental instability 
with Issa right now. It'd be Nate. It'd be Nate. Yeah. It yeah. would be Nate. Yeah. So. So yeah. he held her in the moment. Now, at the same time, he's still a man. He was like, damn, I'm sure he's like, shit, I thought I was going to get some. Mm-hmm. But he understood. Right. He understood. He held her for, for, for a while and then politely excused himself <laughs> from the apartment. But he was there for her in that moment. Right. Right. Um, and again, I think it talks about like just being, it speaks to the unspoken of not being codependent on somebody like, yeah, it could have been easy for Nate to stay there and then her to hug up on him in the morning and say, thank you for being there. But it's like, you know, he left and, but it's like, Issa has to go through this journey by herself. You gotta, you gotta figure this out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and, uh, unless you got some other things you wanted to cover. No, no, but closing thoughts. Yeah. Closing Um, thoughts, man. Here we go. My closing thoughts. Even before this last season finishes, this show is top five for me all the time. Top five dead or alive. Top five dead or alive. Yeah. And I feel comfortable in saying that, one, one of the biggest things for me um, is a lot of what we talked about, just what the show represents, how I can relate, you know, all of those things that we've talked about for the past hour or so. Yeah. Then on top of that, what we haven't really mentioned, just the replay value. Yeah. I've watched each season at least two, three times. Easy. And every week, because we get a week in between each episode, I watch the same episode at least two or three times every week. And don't think twice of it and just sit there and watch it like I watched it for the first time. I put the captions on, try to catch little things that are said, that are unsaid, all of that. All of those things make this top five dead or alive for me. So, um, I, I, I agree. And I, 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 um, think it's the replay value is really the hallmark of whether or not a show is good. I did mention New York undercover. New York undercover mm-hmm. has terrible replay value. It's, mm-hmm. it's terrible mm-hmm. to watch now. It's like, Oh, the acting is terrible. <laughs> the, 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 the action scenes are terrible. The plot is, is dumb. Like, like it just, <laughs> you know, the only thing that holds up is the music. Right. And so, right. Right. Um, right. <laughs> you know, but anyway, um, so the things I'm going to pull from the show, man, and, and I just want to say, I, I mentioned this, uh, ever so briefly, uh, a few minutes ago. Um, I look at Issa Rae's journey and it's encouraging for me as a creative um, because she has really leaned into, and I think this is the most important part, blackness and be willing mm-hmm. to tell um, detail the black experience and not walk away from it because it's not appealable to other people. And there's beauty in just focusing on particular aspects of our of black culture and black people. And for me, as somebody who's tries to be a storyteller in my own right within this podcast, um, you know, I have to often remind myself and I think for people always kind of making me remind myself and I'm going to get better about, about this is to lean into the blacks, leaning in more into the black story and not trying to make it into something else because I'm trying to appeal to whoever guest or the topic Right, like, how does this appear? How, how can we center ourselves in this conversation? And I, I, 
I appreciated Issa for doing that. And it's encouraging me that you can do that and be successful in a white space. Yeah. Um, and so that's something I'm going to pull from. That's something that I appreciate. And, you know, we're not, by the time, you know, season five ends, we won't have another podcast on it. So, you know, I won't be able to talk about that in season two, but while we're closing out season one, I do want to give it the show its flowers, even though it doesn't need it from me. Cause who am I? But, um, I'm a, a fan and I love it and I appreciate for being born and alive and pre- relevant to when the sheen, the show grow from where it was to where it is. And I also appreciate it, it leaving on its own terms because that's not often given in black shows, right? They just kind of like, it just ends or it whimpers out and, yeah. you know, not no telling how the show is going to end, but we can assume that it's going to end on a strong note. Um, and she did it her way. And she did it her way. And so that's something mm-hmm. that um, I appreciate it. And since this is the last show um, for season one, and I probably won't be able to do a insecure, you know, pod, I think it's only apropos that I write out with a insecure song. So with that being said, thank you all for listening to season one of Uncle Bias podcast. We may come back for special yeah. episodes. Uh, thanks, Rob, man. You've been riding with me throughout man. man and thank you all for listening y'all been riding with me continue to uh, challenge me continue to help me grow continue to help me get better um i want to get better and i'll see y'all if i don't comment on this comment on this pod season one i'll see y'all in season two we out Got a lot on my mind, I'm thinking I'm needing a break to clear up the club today, man. Can I get a minute? Cause it's space, man. You've been in my head playing games, man. Give me way to control it. Got me feeling like I can't breathe. I can't even hang with the homie. Ain't no reason not to trust me. I'm your lady, not a slave. You my nigga, not my master. I'll escape thinking who can I run to? Got me looking for a new dude with a chill vibe who a nice time who can lay back, who don't pick fights, who ain't insecure. Yeah. Why you gotta be so insecure, yeah When I did all I could do But you be wanting more And why you can't get above my back And I can't take a lot of shit But I won't take that Been a long time, maybe home, I've been away, work, got me in and out of state, don't know.